Broadcasting live worldwide. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. And now, thank you for tuning in to... You're listening to Talk Line with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host. We're back. And with us right now is Roger Jason Stone. Uh, He is an American conservative. He's a political operative. He's a consultant. He's a lobbyist. He's worked for Richard Nixon and Ronald Reagan and Jim Kemp and Bob Dole and George Bush, Donald Trump. Uh, He's worked for a lot of Republican causes. And uh, he was uh, arrested in January 25th, 2019, in connection with Robert Mueller's special counsel investigation, charged with witness tampering, obstruction, official proceeding, five counts of making false statements. In November 2019, a jury convicted him on all seven felony counts. He was sentenced to 40 months in prison, July 10th, 2020, days before he was community sentence and finally on August 17, 2020, he dropped the appeal of his convictions and was pardoned on December 23rd, 2020 by President Trump. Roger Stone, thank you for joining us. You're delighted to be here. Uh, uh, I, that is uh, that was a very good summation of the facts uh, uh, in the two-year odyssey that I've been through, which has been a draining, terrifying uh, 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 driven us, uh, you know, to the edge of poverty. Uh, it's an extraordinary thing when you are targeted uh, for prosecution, uh, particularly for political reasons. Uh, and then afterwards, not only do we find uh, uh, that there is bias and corruption by the jury for woman, the judge makes a number of rulings that I th- we thought were unconstitutional. I couldn't. Uh, I essentially, she blocked any uh, effective defense. And then, ironically, in the dark of night, on midnight, because of a court order, Zeb, you're not going to believe this, but Robert Mueller's last final redacted sections of his report on Roger Stone were released by the U.S. Justice Department, in which they admitted there had no evidence whatsoever that I had any connection with the Russians, WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, that I transferred any emails, that I that I uh, had anything to do with the uh, theft and publication, the alleged theft and publication, or I should say the phishing and publication of John Podesta's emails. So there you have it. Uh, the president was right. I did not get anything even approaching the fair trial. I was gagged during it, so I could never, you know, correct many of the incredible misstatements in the public uh, uh, square by the media. But recall, they told you that I would be charged with espionage, treason, money laundering, uh, mail fraud, wire fraud, uh, access, uh, unauthorized access to a computer, uh, you know, the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. But the, at the end of the day, they, they were making false statements. Is what it seems like the gravity of their charge was. Well, that. but but here's the, but here's the problem: you can't lie about the very matters that they admit they couldn't connect you to. Uh, this should have been disclosed to us before trial. Let well, me a question: uh, you that know, you were sentenced I, to forty I, I, months. Look, I, I, okay. Uh, in, in any event, I, uh-huh. I thank. Uh, I thank God that uh, Donald Trump had the political courage uh, to do this in an election year. Improbable. Uh, There's no question that he saved my life because under the current DOJ 
Bureau of Prisons regulations, all legal precedents, uh, at my age and in my, and in my physical condition, I should have been sent, even if I was uh, still uh, to be uh, held uh, and punished for something I didn't do, in home confinement. Michael Avenatti was, Michael Cohn is, Michael Cohn is, Paul Manafort is, Rick Gates is, uh, and so on. I think Harvey Weinstein is at this point. Uh, but uh, no, uh, the judge said I had to go immediately to a facility in uh, a squalid facility in Georgia where they insisted there were no COVID-19 cases, except for the prison guards union insisted there were at least 200 that were being hidden, which later turned out to be true. Now there's more than 500. So it was a death sentence. So you, so you didn't spend you didn't spend a day in jail, right? So uh, you were able, you were commuted before you actually started the sentence. That, that is true. Three days, be- three days before, actually, it was quite a drama. Uh, that morning, it was a Friday, Facebook announced that I would be in for all time. Uh, and they released a detailed report. It was very clever. But they said I owned 100 fake, uh, fake book, uh, Facebook profiles, when, in fact, I've never owned one, not one. It's a total fabrication. Uh, so I'm banned for life there. Then the appeals court upholds the sentence. I have three days to surrender to the president of Georgia. And then two hours after that, the president commuted my sentence. Did you expect the president to commute your sentence? Oh, well, I certainly prayed for it. Uh, I had no guarantees or anything. Uh, he never told me uh, in advance this was a surety. Uh, other people who had talked to him told me that they thought he would do the right thing. But I think he played his decision very close to the vest. But, I mean, he's absolutely right. I mean, when the jury forewoman in your in your case is attacking me by name in connection with this very case on Facebook and Twitter, but then has those posts on a private setting during jury selection and the trial and then deletes them after the trial. Uh, and uh, does it, and repeatedly attacks the president in the same two platforms, also our privacy setting, calls herself a member of the resistance. No, I don't think you can be a fair-minded juror in the case of Roger Stone. Did you have any conversation with the president after he commuted and pardoned you? Uh, I, I called the, him. <clears throat> we talked, I guess, uh, we've talked a couple times. But, and the lawyer, David Sh- Oh, he- David, David Sherman is one of the most brilliant lawyers I have ever come across, and I'll tell you why I say this. He not only has an excellent but he understands the overlay of politics on whatever case uh, he's trying. He most lawyers in the courtroom, they don't understand that how what's happening in the courtroom is perceived and plays with the public is extraordinarily important to your case. David understands this perfectly, which is an excellent choice. I thought he did a super job of making the case that uh, the impeachment was extraordinarily uh, uh, hypocritical by a number of these Democrats. And you're a lifelong Republican. You're conservative. Did you go to CPAC? Uh, you know, I was not uh, invited to speak at CPAC, uh, but I was there because I had uh, promised uh, two uh, very prominent rappers who are uh, who are fine gentlemen, uh, Christians, 
very, very, uh, very, very conservative, of course. I would be in a music video. So I couldn't let them down, so I was in Orlando. I did kind of a drop-by. I guess you could say I crashed CPAC, and uh, I was in the lobby for a little bit, and I spoke to, I don't know, OAN, Fox, CNN, and so on. But I, I was not there for the president's speech. Because they they played some of the sites, I don't know if you've seen online, where they said that you were rapping with the rappers, you were dancing to the lyrics, but the yes, lyrics that you were yes, dancing yes. to was Trump 2020. Yeah, he had it in the bag, and that, that they were also supporting, I guess, what happened on January 6th. So they're trying to no, link you no, to... I think, that, I, I think that, would be, that would be a reach. However, I must tell you, the lyrics were incomprehensible to me, as they always are. But secondarily, only I speak for me. So uh, that would, uh, I, and I, I looked at the, uh, I looked at the, uh, the lyrics, uh, and I think that that's kind of a cheap shot. I really do. Because they say you dance to the Patriots who knocked on the Capitol, so that's what they say. Uh, that- look, I, I think I have been, I think I have been extraordinarily clear that um, I was not, uh, I was not on the ellipse. I was not in the march to the hill. I wasn't on the hill. I wasn't in the Capitol. I knew nothing about this uh, uh, in advance. Uh, if I would have, would have turned the people in. It's a stupid, destructive idea. What person would think that it would help the Trump cause to to trespass and destroy public property and to menace members of Congress? No, I've been accused of a lot of things, but stupid is not one of them. <laughs> now, you go back with Donald Trump a long time. You encouraged him, what, in the 1990s to run for president, right? Uh, 1988 was the first time I realized that he kind of had the size and the personality and the independence and the feistiness and the, and the fight uh, to be a, a great candidate. And, and, and I still think that the, the extraordinary changes um, uh, that he wrought, particularly the changes in the Middle Eastern policy, which I strongly support. I think that the uh, peace deal put together by Jared Kushner was an important step forward, uh, very, very key. Uh, I think moving the uh, the Capitol was the right thing to do, uh, and I just pray that Joe Biden doesn't move it back. Now, you go back with him such a long time, and it's the embassy. I think the Democrats say they're going to keep it in Jerusalem. So that's what they're saying right now, and I hope they stick well, to I that. Hope I hope they stick to that. Yeah. Now, you go back such a long time, you encourage him to run, as you said, in 1988. Um, do you think he's going to run again in four years? Would you encourage him to to take that race again? Well, for the four years is a very long time. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very long time, particularly in American politics, because things change so quickly. Uh, there's no question that if the president was in good health and he had the, uh, the vigor for the fight, uh, he would be the commanding choice of most Republicans. He has changed the Republican Party forever. Uh, he learned a lot, I think, in his first term about how deep the swamp is, way de- way deeper than he thought. But um, he did some very he did some great things. I mean, the greatest job boom in American history. The greatest boost in uh, in uh, uh, in uh, wage growth. Uh, the lowest levels of unemployment. Among all Americans, America, uh, black, white, Hispanic, uh, uh, Asians, women, everybody, uh, it's a very—it's an extraordinary record. Uh, so, what do you think? Did why do you think did him in? Why didn't he win? He came close, but no cigar. Why do you think he couldn't make it over the finish line this time around? 
Uh, I think COVID-19 was a really substantial, uh, handy, you know, kind of uh, damper on his campaign style. The period that, that his signature rallies, which is the single best way that he communicated to his voters, were hobbled. Uh, you know, I, I think that he, uh, the kid, the campaign spending, which I don't think the president really was controlling, uh, did not preserve enough money for paid media. My good friend Hank Sheinkoff, who, to my mind, is probably the smartest guy, you know, in the Democratic Party. I was going to say, even though he's a Democrat, you're friendly with. We, we, we've been friends for many, many years. We worked on some nonpartisan things together and some things uh, in other countries together. Uh, but uh, in, any, in any event, Rabbi Sheinkoff pointed out to me uh, how little uh, they actually spend on all media, where Joe Biden is going on the air in, you know, in September and staying on the air on broadcast television, on cable, on urban radio, uh, targeted to African-Americans, uh, you know, on his you know, Trump is doing none of these things, and then when he does spend on them at the end, it's relatively thin. Uh, the, the, he is right that he won without those things four years ago. The four years ago was a completely different dynamic, and no two races are the same. Um, Hillary Clinton was carrying negatives that even Joe Biden was it was it wasn't carrying. Anything. Did you try to describe Hillary Clinton with Julian Assange, with the WikiLeaks founder? Uh, as we know from the uh, just from the uh, unredacted sections of the Mueller report that were released, surprisingly, this past election uh, at midnight—that's an odd time for a press release—the Department of Justice, because they were ordered by the court in a uh, lawsuit by BuzzFeed disgorged the final unredacted sections of the report by Roger Stone, which they concluded they could find no evidence of collusion or collaboration between we, me, Assange, WikiLeaks, uh, including the uh, alleged phishing and publication of John Podesta's emails. It's there in their words, not mine. So uh, how can one lie to Congress about things one is not involved in? Our guest, you hear is Roger... Jason Stone, born Roger Joseph Stone. When did you change it from Joseph to Jason, by the way? Uh, the disagreement between my parents. Okay, I was wondering. <laughs> but RJ, if you call yourself RJ, you're you're on safe ground. He's a political operative, yeah, exactly. lobbyist. He's worked for Richard Nixon, Ronald Reagan, Kemp, and Donald Trump. When we come back, we continue our conversation. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Talk line radio and TV with Zeb Brenner is just phenomenal. Everybody concerned about the Jewish community should listen and watch. He has the best guests. He asks the most interesting questions. He's always so well prepared. It's talk radio and television from a Jewish point of view at its very best. To advertise on the Talkline network and Talkline's email and social media blasts reaching over 70,000 people, please call 212-769-1925, extension 100. That's 212-769-1925, extension 100. Or email info at talklinenetwork.com. Talkline Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community. You're listening to Talkline with Zev Brenner, America's premier Jewish broadcast on the air since 1981. And now your host, 
Roger Stone, political operative, is our guest, and we'll get to as many calls as we can, 212-769-1925. Let's go to Lorna in Hicksville, Long Island. Your question for Roger Stone. Go ahead. All right. Well, it's more of a comment than a question, but truthfully, I have seen the evidence uh, with my own eyes of unbelievable voter fraud. Um, I saw it on Rudy Giuliani's podcast, Giuliani being Trump's lawyer, and I was just kind of surprised at the question when you asked how he didn't win and didn't get over the finish line. I would, I'm here to tell you he won very big, actually. And I saw the proof that it was stolen from him. In other words, if somebody robbed me and nobody... Listen, I hear what you're saying. I'll let Roger Stone respond to you. Hold on. I'll I'll let Roger respond to you. But the problem is none of the courts have done so. Joe Biden is the president. So uh, I'll I'll let Roger Roger respond to you. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, uh, Let me say this. Uh, As as someone who uh, I am not an attorney... But I, uh, but I have been in the political practice for 40, 40 years, and the number of anomalies uh, and in this election needed certainly needed more examination. There's a lot of evidence of things that should have been examined more closely. But then, as Zev says, uh, the you know the three branches of government here took uh, uh, whatever appropriate actions there were. The courts declined to rule. Trump made his case. He made his case to the Congress. The Congress certified the election. The election's over. Uh, it is, uh, I agree with the lady who called. This deserves far more examination. She has uh, made a, a, a bit more of a declarative decision. I haven't seen enough to be able to say that, but I did say that the evidence and the anomalies were odd. It's unlikely Joe Biden ran 15 to 18 percent ahead of Barack Obama in the very uh, in the uh, African American dominated precincts. That's just unlikely. Just to give you one example, uh, we know of uh, uh, there are reports in Wisconsin, official reports of 316 ballots being counted by machine, uh, and the time in the time log. We know that the machine can only process 200 ballots in that time frame. Those are called anomalies. That's right, and there, and there are some, but that they haven't proven quite a lot. And we have that a doesn't prove, That doesn't prove anything, but it is, it's an irregularity. It's an anomaly that I thought deserved the further examination. Anyway, thank you for uh, your, for your yeah. question. I appreciate that. The state legislators have the right to do that. And anyway, I, I appreciate you know, your comments. Let's go to Brian in the Bronx. Go ahead, Brian. Yeah. Yeah, hello, Roger. Go ahead, Brian. Go yeah. ahead, yes. Yeah, Roger, first, thank you for everything you've done on the horrible assault right now. Yes, Roger. Yeah, hello, Roger. You know, to follow up with what Lorna said, an ounce of prevention is always worth 10 tons of cure. Why could you not have simply, President Trump and Giuliani, have simply put some federal officials at sites like Fulton County and in Las Vegas and Pittsburgh and Philadelphia? So when, for example, they were illegally throwing out observers you would have had either a federal marshal there or an FBI agent to prevent them from throwing out the federal observer, I mean the election observers. I'm going to let Roger respond uh, yeah, in the interest happy, of time. I'm, I'm happy to address that. I'm bewildered as to why the Republican attorneys who, who knew that the Democrats were in state by state and making election law changes, particularly where they had both houses and a governor, 
that, uh, that made fraud easier, let's put it that way, theoretically. Uh, and the Republicans sat there, and in a few states, the state Republican parties would fight it, but the Republican National Committee was uh, asleep. And uh, if the president had ordered federal marshals to certain precincts, then he would be accused of attempting to suppress the African-American vote or the urban vote or the Spanish vote or whatever precinct he sent them to. Uh, so uh, in Fulton County, you know, all of the all of the contested precincts, uh, you know, would uh, would trigger that political charge. Uh, the fundamental safeguards against this should have been built three years ago. Right, they should have had an operation in place, to... not at the last moment. That's what they said that if the president well, I mean, felt they, that right, there were going to be some problems, he should have had more people on the ground. I think I think that is that is the case. But really, you have to remember again, as I said earlier, this, this drama plays out against the backdrop of politics. It's a legal proceeding, but it plays out based on the political politics of the time. We have a few moments left. I'm going to try to scream one more call, Roger. But you worked in the Nixon White House. Tell us about who saved Israel during the Yom Kippur War. You were there. Yes. By the way, the lady you called in earlier is absolutely correct. I myself looked at precinct after precinct after precinct in Philadelphia where more people voted than were registered to vote. That I saw myself. The problem is the courts didn't rule on it, and that's why yes, it's... Yes, let's go, let's, yeah. let's go back to your question, which is, yes, uh, as I think most people know, um, uh, Richard Nixon was my political mentor. I met him when I was 16. I went to work for him when I was 19. I uh, was recommended to him by John Davis Lodge, the uh, governor of Connecticut, uh, former congressman, uh, uh, later went on to be ambassador of Spain in Argentina. Uh, as you know, in 1973, Yom Kippur, the Israelis, in a very rare failure of their intelligence, find uh, that the Egyptians and the Syrians have uh, launched a, uh, a, 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 an extraordinary attack, and their backs are against the sea. They, they are completely taken by surprise, and they are swiftly running out of both uh, lethal uh, 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 aid and, uh, I should say, uh, they need both medicine and bullets, to put it uh, mildly. And, um, you know, the, uh, the, uh, they appeal to the United States. Nixon uh, hears all sides, uh, and Henry Kissinger is stoutly against uh, doing anything to help Israel in this moment of peril. He says it will trigger the Russians, Mr. President. You can't risk it. Admiral Thomas Moore is also opposed. He says that he can get the aid, he can airdrop what Golda Meir is asking for, uh, but it would take, uh, as he says, 48 hours, and Nixon tells him to go. So uh, there is a tape that they never play. It's Nixon who calls him after 24 hours and says, so I assume the stuff is on its way to uh, Golda. He says, well, no, sir, not really. We haven't chosen the aircraft yet because Kissinger told Moore to stall well. as they hoped to talk Nixon out of this. Nixon went out of his mind, and he said, I don't really care about the Russians. He, uh, he says to Moore, if those planes, he said, Any, send anything that can fly, he says. If those planes are not in the air in the next two hours, I'm going to come over there personally and put my foot up your ass. That can be found. So uh, he was... And is uh, that on he, the tape? He made... Is that what I mean, he did. He he basically he he decided to uh, to uh, airlift what the Israel what the Israel needed over the objections of Kissinger, over the objections of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, over the objections of the entire National Security Council. 
uh, he did the right thing at the right time. He, he saved Israel the, during the Yom Kippur War. Is that all on tape? That whole conversation that you quoted? Uh, the the Moore conversation is one of the ones that has it exists, but it is rarely transcribed. A lot of the Nixon tapes have not been transcribed. The the tapes that John Dean puts forward, claiming to be a full transcription, are missing an extraordinary material, as per the logs. So, but that that can be found. Uh, obviously, the media at the time had no interest in in uh, playing anything that was exculpatory regarding Richard Nixon. So, anyway, we're out of time. So, what's your next, Roger Stone? Uh, I'm going to uh, write the definitive book uh, about this two-year ordeal in which the uh, the uh, federal government, uh, for political motives, tried to crush me, uh, really tried to pressure me into testifying against the president regarding some 29 uh, cell phone calls we had when he was a candidate in 2016, which I declined to do because it would be lying and I refused to bear false witness. So it's, I want to tell that tale, but I also want to move on with my life. Uh, I'll be doing a, uh, a daily podcast on politics. Uh, I'm going to write uh, uh, yet a, another book uh, that uh, beyond the, the first one. Uh, right now, I'm new. It's entitled "Roger Stone Did Nothing Wrong." My political prosecution. Look forward to having you back, Roger Stone. Twenty twenty election. Look forward to having you and back. Thanks. If they make a movie, who do you want them to play Roger Stone in the movie? James Woods. Okay. Thank you, Roger Stone, for being with us. Thank you for listening. Thanks Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. TalkLine Network Radio, America's longest-running Jewish broadcast network, the voice of the Jewish community.